0: It's Christmas Eve Day here at St. Peter's, United Church of Christ, in Skokie, Illinois. I'm the red-headed preacher. My name, they don't call me that. Uh, that's for the podcast, though I do have red hair. My name is Richard Lanford, and I am privileged to be the pastor here, and uh, happy to be here to preach the fourth Sunday of Advent. If you read the uh, text about this message, it is a teaching sermon to a point. It talks about uh, the impact of David on this idea of who Jesus should be, you know, and what about that covenant that God made with David? Because, you know, is there a king of David on the throne of Israel now? You no, know, what happened to that? So we'll uh, hear what did happen to that and um, kind of compare or contrast, re- rather, the, the throne of David, which wasn't all bad, and the throne of Jesus because Jesus reinterpreted what a Messiah was to be. And I hope you will enjoy this message. It does have an eye towards Christmas, of course, but this is a little bit of a different kind of message, I think, and I hope you will enjoy it as such. Please join me in a brief word of prayer. Holy one of Israel, the love of God that we especially know in your son, Jesus Christ. We rejoice that we're about to celebrate his birth and that he was in fact born. Oh Lord, you were born. You came to us in our need to lift us up and bring us back. We humbly ask that you move during the listening as well as to the previous preaching of this message that we would hear what you would have us hear and our faith be built up, our witness be brighter and our endurance in serving you be fortified for the long haul to your glory in the name of christ we ask this blessing amen the next voice you hear should be that of our lector who today is beth lanford and here we go
1: in our gospel reading today mary the mother of jesus tells the angel gabriel here am i the servant of the lord Let it be with me according to your word. And here are you and I, servants of the Lord, about to hear some words from God. May we have a spirit as courageous and receptive as Mary's. Towards that end, please join me in prayer. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, you who moved in the womb of Mary, bring the source of eternal life we ask you to move in the womb of our hearts and minds this morning to bring about new life as we hear these words grant us attentive attentive souls that otherwise might be tempted to wander at passages so familiar this is a hairy time even today and we ask your help so that we might be given a still center here and now the better to listen and meditate on what you say to us we ask this blessing in the name of Jesus Christ the coming one amen our first reading is second Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 through 11 and verse and then verse 16 King David wishes to build a temple for the Lord, but God wills that he establish an everlasting dynasty. This passage is the basis for what is called the Davidic Covenant, the covenant God made that pledges there will always be a descendant of David on Israel's throne. This covenant later became part of Israel's hope for Messiah. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in the tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan go and tell my servant David thus says the Lord are you the one to build me a house to live in have I not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day but I have been moving about in the time and a tabernacle wherever I have moved about among the people of Israel did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, you shall tell my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the great names of all the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place, and be disturbed no more. The evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and i will give you rest from all of your enemies moreover the lord declares to you that the lord will make you a house your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever here ends the reading from second samuel our second reading is also our gospel lesson for the fourth Sunday of Advent. It is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Commonly called the Annunciation of Mary. This passage comes after the story of her relative Elizabeth, the wife of the priest of Zechariah. In her old age, Elizabeth has become miraculously pregnant with a child who will grow up to become John the Baptist. The reference to the sixth month means the sixth month of elizabeth's pregnancy in the sixth month the angel gabriel was sent by god to a town in galilee called nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was joseph of the house of david the virgin's name was mary and he came to her and said greetings favored one the lord is with you but she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will receive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, he will be, he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can that be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, if the child to be born will be holy, This ends the reading of the gospel and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a faithful and joyous heart, understanding of this, God's holy word. Our worship now continues with a musical meditation by our music director, Ben
0: White. Advent and Christmas are pretty fun, partly because there are so many characters. We cannot help but hear about Santa Claus. Mother Mary and Joseph, Rudolph, Frosty, the Grinch. All I want for Christmas is you, the elves, the elf. And that's just for starters. We've got John the Baptist and his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, the baby Jesus. Can't forget him, though I did one Christmas Eve and didn't get him in the manger until, well, the next day maybe, I don't know, and the shepherds and Gabriel and more. You know who we never hear about, even though the Bible story takes place in his shadow? I've never preached an Advent message about him or his importance either. He's mentioned in both of our readings this morning, King David. David. In fact, his shadow falls over Jesus' adult ministry all the way through Palm Sunday, if not longer, when Jesus is hailed as David's son, bringing back the kingdom of David. Now, Jesus himself kept a distance from these affiliations, but this morning's readings did not keep any distance. So let's do the unexpected this morning and find out why David was so important to the hope brought to life by Jesus' birth. Now, some of you know that Beth and I watch these murder mysteries on TV, usually set in England or some such place. It's not uncommon for a plot line to revolve around some property and money that's been in a family for centuries. And then in the plot, now the bloodline is in great jeopardy. Will the new heir do the unthinkable and sell the property? Or designated for some highly unorthodox use that would disgrace the family, this would all be scandalous. It's been in the family since whenever. There's a lineage, a heritage that's seen as sacrosanct. So murders happen. Now magnify those one thousand times or more, and you've got the significance of what Beth read in Second Samuel. David wants to build the Lord a house, a temple, and God balks. No, since you're talking about a house, David, let God build you a house, a lineage and position through your descendants, that one of them will always be on the throne of Israel. We heard that the Lord told Nathan to tell the king, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And as Beth said, that's what's called the Davidic covenant. God made this covenant agreement with David that one of his descendants would always sit on the throne of Israel. And after Israel split into Israel to the north and Judah to the south, it was the king of Judah. This is not a one-off subplot, only in 2 Samuel 11, and then we kind of forget about it. We know that we don't forget about it, because I just mentioned Palm Sunday when when it's invoked. In 2 Samuel 23, in what is presented as David's closing words in Hebrew poetry, we hear, Is not my house like this with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4 go, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my servant David, I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. And elsewhere in that same psalm, it reads of David, God saying, Forever I will keep my steadfast love for him, and my covenant with him will stand firm. And again, I will establish his line forever I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips Psalm 132 is a liturgy commemorating God's choice of Jerusalem as capital and the Davidic dynasty two verses 11 and 12 say the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back one of the sons of your body I will set on your throne If your sons keep my covenant and my decrees that I shall teach them, their sons also forevermore shall sit on your throne. The first qualifier we hear. This Davidic covenant, then, is a big honking deal. Israel relied on it for stability. Now, it wasn't always a nonviolent transfer of power within the, the Davidic family, but it pretty much was. Are you still with me? the covenant hit a snag. A little thing called the Babylonian exile happened. In the 8th century B.C., there was no more throne in Judah or Jerusalem. No more king, no throne. So what happened then? Well, what happened has much to do with what Gabriel said to Mary this morning. Joyce Baldwin wrote in her commentary, The Messianic hope arose after that rule came to an end. A reinterpretation of the promises to David. His booth would be repaired, Amos 9, verse 11. A Davidic child would establish his throne with justice and righteousness. Well, hey, we we do hear some of that on Christmas Eve a lot. Uh, It's from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And elsewhere, we know there's a passage also in Isaiah chapter 11. We hear that like every other Christmas Eve, saying that a branch from the stump of Jesse, it's David's father, a a branch from the stump of Jesse would yet create an ideal kingdom. These were passages that said God's covenant will be fulfilled again, and it was seen as when Messiah comes. This Messiah has to be a descendant of David and would be the one to take up the throne. Throne of David. We know the expected Messiah was to be like David. It was expected a military conqueror and pious. David was the man after God's own heart, even if he had other serious character defects. As a military leader, and David was one of the best, he unified Israel and fought out the boundaries and barriers and there was a time of peace before Solomon came and all Solomon also had peace for the most part as a military leader this Messiah to come would overthrow the yoke of Roman oppression and restore Israel's former glory as a free and dominating nation throne of David Messiah is coming So we come to Gabriel and Mary. And she's told that this special son that she's to bear will sit on that throne. Speaking of Jesus, the angel said he will be great. And we will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, we had the throne of David. Yet Jesus did not become like David in his kingship. No, as the Davidic covenant was reinterpreted to apply to a future messianic king, so Jesus reinterpreted the throne of David. The king of kings, whose birth we're on the cusp of celebrating, sat on a throne of his own, albeit of God. Rather than taking up a sword like David would, he, sat, he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Rather than raise an army to try like others before him to overthrow Roman rule and reestablish the glory of Israel, he started a band of disciples. He showed them healing, feeding the hungry, teaching forgiveness, Self-denial, faith, love, prayer, humility, inclusion of those on the outskirts and the margins of society, like touching lepers, nobody did that because they were afraid of their own health, for their own health, but Jesus did. And he also called BS against the religious elite. As Jesus grew up to be and to do this, we glory in his having been born for us. The throne of Jesus, I imagine, could be that stool that Jesus sat on if he sat on any stool in John 13 when he took off his outer robe and washed the feet of the disciples. Now that was a silent sermon on his upcoming death and resurrection and the cleansing it would bring, but he did not say that at the time. It's a double entendre in John's writing in that chapter. That stool was the throne of Jesus. No, the the king on the throne did the work of a slave. Then he told them it was an example for their own behavior towards each other. You know the story. He said to them, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that's what I am. So if I, and then he flip-flops those two words, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that also you should do as I have done unto you. Now, can you imagine King David doing anything of that sort in his day and age? No. Although his kingdom was to be righteous, it was not necessarily humble and serving like this kingdom. Later, Jesus talked motive for this. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Throne of David, throne of Jesus. David set the expectations and sat on that throne. Jesus, as his promised messianic heir, flipped the script and changed the expectations. Love, service, mercy, honesty, in faith, nonviolence. Those are Jesus' values. Those are among the values of his realm, of what is to be done before his throne. And this new realm was always in God's heart. We find it commanded in Psalm 72 for God's kings, as well as in visions of the joyous messianic kingdom. It was not new, but it was Jesus whose birth we rejoice in who made that his throne. Someone has also said that Jesus' earthly throne was Calvary's cross. That was his throne. There, if nowhere else, I believe we see the core of the heart of God for the world. Those are the lenses through which I view the scriptures that talk about God in troubling ways. Does it square with the God I know in the cross of Calvary and the resurrection? that's the throne for the kingdom of love for the unlovely the book of the Revelation in chapter 5 takes off on this a little bit then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered they sing a new song You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God's saints from every people and nation. Well, that lamb symbolic of Jesus. This same lamb ends up on the throne in Revelation. Revelation 22 describes, quote, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Not two thrones, one throne, of God and the Lamb. The throne of Jesus, which is God's throne, is filled by the one who gave his life for the world. What a difference from the throne of David. It is his throne and not that of David that is the throne for the one that I seek to follow and serve. That love, Coming into the world like ever, never before is a miracle of Christmas, which we anticipate in this almost done season of Advent. The Presbyterian minister Henry Van Dyke wrote a piece called Keeping Christmas, and I'd like to share some of it with you. He wrote, There is a better way, excuse me, there is a better thing than the observance of Christmas Day, and that is keeping Christmas. Are you willing, then he, there's a paragraph jump, and he says, are you willing to stoop down and consider the needs and the desires of little children, to remember the weakness and loneliness of people who are growing old, to stop asking how much your friends love you and ask yourself whether you love them enough, to bear in mind the things that other people have to bear on their hearts, and to try to understand What those who live in the same house with you really want without waiting for them to tell you. To trim your lamp so that it will give more light and less smoke. And to carry it in front of you so that your shadow will fall behind you. To make a grave for your ugly thoughts and a garden for your kindly feelings with the gate open. Are you willing to do these things even for a day? Then you can keep Christmas. Now it took me time to learn, as I said last Sunday, that the throne of Jesus is not only about forgiveness of our sins since, or the establishment of the new covenant, of the covenant of grace between God and us. It's not only our inspiration to put others before ourselves on a regular basis out of love and servant leadership the throne of Jesus has much wider implications for a society and the world and for justice why else would we have the Magnificat which will be read at tonight's service the throne of Jesus is also about love for those who've been kept down by the status quo who never got a year of Jubilee so there was never the reset God intended way back in the book of Leviticus last Sunday We heard Jennifer read from Isaiah 61, where verse 8 has the Lord declare, I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. The prophets excoriated merchants of their day who took advantage of their customers by messing with their scales and weights so that you would end up spending more and getting less than what you really were supposed to the violent in these prophecies were also up for judgment. They may be victorious on the, in, in, in some arenas, but they would be judged, God said. As, servant of Jesus, as servants of Jesus on his throne, we serve the fulfillment of the biblical vision Mary, his mother, sang two millennia ago, where he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thing in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty this too is on the mind of jesus on his throne and therefore is on ours too as citizens of the realm of christ on our minds and often in our actions and words Bowing before the throne of Jesus, not David. I close with you with how Henry Van Dyke ended keeping Christmas. He ends it this way. Are you willing to believe that love is the strongest thing in the world? Stronger than hate, stronger than evil, stronger than death. And that the blessed life which began in Bethlehem overnight Fifteen hundred years ago is the image and the brightness of eternal love, of the eternal love, then you can keep Christmas. And if you can keep it for a day, why not always? But you can never keep it alone. Amen. Well, that there was a full-length sermon, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I think this was a bit more of a teaching sermon, and uh, I wouldn't have taught it if I didn't think that it was worth lifting up, that it's something that's in our faith that connects to the Jewish faith, which the more we know about that connection, you know, the better disciples we are, the more informed we are, And also, you know, it does affect how the original Christmas went down. I believe, you know, when the birth of Jesus came, there were some people like those shepherds thinking, all right, the Messiah has come. And that was the popular conception of the Messiah, was this David-like ruler that was going to reestablish, you know, Israelite dominance. Um, Where Jesus showed he was going to be sitting on another throne, didn't he? The next message that we're going to be offering will be also Christmas Eve night. I'm in the basement of my house right now, getting ready to practice that message and um, preach it very soon over at St. Peter's. It's a 7 p.m. service. And um, that one is, uh, well, I'll stop because that has another intro. So God bless you for listening. I hope you tune in uh, to listen to the Christmas Eve one at your convenience. It's always going to be out there. And may God bless you. May God bless your celebration of the birth of Christ. And may God bless your whole week. Amen.
1: Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.